Welcome to Burn It All Down. It may not be the feminist sports podcast you need, but <laughs> hey, it's what you got. I'm Amira Rose Davis. Today I'm here with Lindsay and Shireen. We are going to be talking about Olympic disappointments, or are they? Uh, we're going to be rethinking uh, a lot of those ideas about disappointment and the Olympic Games. Uh, we also, of course, will be burning a lot of things um, and lifting up some torchbearers of the week. But before we get into all of that, y'all, you know, first of all, I've gotten very into triathlons. I told you the miracle for me was I watch all one hour and 45 minutes of the men's try. But when me and uh, Lindsay did a pop-up primetime event for our Patreon, thanks to all those who joined, we talked about how chaotic the triathlon was. And um, I invented a, a new Olympic sport, which was at random you would pick three Olympic sports and that would be your new twisted try. So I had to know, Shireen and Linz, if you guys had to make a twisted try, what three Olympic events would they be? Lindsay. Okay. I thought a lot about this. I want I want to get a lot of variety in there. So I think rhythmic gymnastics, that's the one with the ribbons and the batons, right? Yes. Yeah, so that and then hammer throw. So, you know, the strength. And then um, a 50 meter free. So you got to have like a sprint event, like a speed event in there. So you got to jump in the pool. So you, I mean, you, just like we're talking chaotic evil here and I am just all for it. I love the chaos, you know. <laughs> That's my evil laugh. Um, Shireen, what's your twisted try look like? Okay, so I was very sure on the first two shot put just because I'm fascinated by it. Um, and I like the idea of throwing heavy circular objects to things. Um, spherical rather than skateboarding because I'm slightly obsessed with that and in my head I think I can make the next Olympics as a skateboarder initially the third one is this I had is curling because my mind always goes right Amira I know you're going to call me out on that so I was going to say it because y'all didn't specify which Olympic games like summer or winter even though yes I know we're in the summer but so I ended up taking it out and going with canoeing because I thought, think how cool this would be. You, sh I've literally envisioned the path of this. You shot put and then you jump on your skateboard and you're doing your stuff and you run down to the dock and then you do some type of flip into the canoe and then you go off. <laughs> it's the flip into the canoe for me. You know, I feel like aerial skiing, aerial skateboarding, that could work. And I, 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 I basically what I'm saying is I think mine is legitimate. Okay, well, let me tell you mine. I went the kayak slalom because every time I watch that course, I know it's not an amusement park ride. Like, I know that it's really hard, but in my head, it still just feels like a really fun amusement park ride in the white waters. Um, so I would want to do that and then jump out of that and do a 400, just quick one like pseudo sprint around the track and then end with sports climbing the speed version because you know there's three different versions although I could be convinced to do the one where they have to like do obstacles and please note here that Shireen definitely upped the ante on chaos by adding a winter sport because I had to point out to her like where would they would ice just magically appear in the do you know the temperatures in Tokyo right now like like there would be a Olympic Games alone to try to prevent that ice from <laughs> melting look if Cutler can do a World Cup 
then we're well, good. Well, they shouldn't be doing yeah, Exactly. <laughs> I know. I'm just being chaotic. Well, the last note I have to lead you with, because I'm thoroughly convinced that all of these Twisted Tribes are a miracle, although I, I guess I, I ended with sports climbing because I had a vision of my head of like somebody bursting into tears as they're propelled down. But then I realized it's basically American Ninja Warrior, so maybe that's just what we're designing. Um but the last thing I want to leave you with, since both me and Shireen were talking about former kind of canoeing and stuff like that. Also, I just need you to go look at the TikTok of Aussie medalist Jessica Fox, who's a bronze and gold medalist in, in canoe, who made a TikTok about what she uses to patch her canoes up. Uh, spoiler alert, it's condoms, um, which is a very creative use for all the excess condoms that the IOC usually provides in the Olympic Village that they're now trying to get people not to have sex because of COVID. Um, but Jessica Fox has a use for those condoms. So now you know. But when you have the resolve that she does to come and win gold, you wonder what happens in your mind when you know and everyone knows that the gold is gone. So we finished a week of the Olympic Games. Of course, there's a lot going on. But one of the most dominant conversation, of course, is centered on Simone Biles, um, the discussion of mental health, uh, the twisties, and a lot of people combating the re rhetoric that she's somehow letting down or disappointing her team or her country. Um, I was happy to see so many people standing up with her and by her side and talking about this really important topic. But it also made me think about how we recall the Olympics and what we think about in terms of nostalgia. And I think we remember these kind of underdog stories and these kind of glorious moments. I mean, it made me think about what happens when people just fall sh just short of expectations, not even not meddling, but maybe just getting the wrong medal or, you know, just not doing what everybody thought. So like Michaela Maroney has made this entire commercial now where she's having the same kind of disappointed face after she got silver on vault finals. So I, I think that that's one very visible way. But what about other people who maybe we lost to Olympic history? Um, and so I wanted to do a quick roundtable revisiting some of these so-called disappointments to think, now, with the conversations we're having in 2021 about mental health and about these expectations and these burdens, do these so-called disappointments look a little different? And is there a way that we can draw parallels today that makes us rethink and maybe reclaim some of uh, these other amazing competitors? Lindsay, I want to throw it to you first. Um, who came to mind when I asked you about uh, Olympic disappointments, quote unquote? I've been thinking so much about this, and I'm going to give a shout out to the podcast Blind Landing, um, produced by one of my friends and a Power Plays contributor, Jessica Taylor Price, as well as many others. But um, I um, was driving back from D.C. Uh, last weekend, and I binged the whole thing. It's a very quick listen. This is all going to be spoiler alerts, but the podcast is about an actual event that took place in the year 2000. So, you know, I don't feel too bad about that. But uh, the whole thing was centered around this vault controversy at the 2000 Olympics in Sydney, where... And they... Motioning to raise it. There are standards... They just moved it. ...that the equipment must fall within... So for two full rounds of the women's gymnastics all-around competition, the vault was two inches lower than it was supposed to be, and it resulted in fall after fall after fall from these competitors. Um, and most notably, Russian Svetlana Korkina. 
Oh, my. That, that's it. That's shocking. Game over. No gold medal for Svetlana Horkina. No one wins the all-around gold with a fall. You know, legendary gymnast. We've all watched her, um, but never won an Olympic all-around gold medal and was the prohibitive favorite going into the 2000 uh, Olympics. And so I think that one of the big things about this was just how it dealed with both the mental aspect of gymnastics, the trust that goes into these games um, from, you know, competitors uh, to the equipment, to the spaces where they're competing, right? Like the blind trust you kind of have to have and everything around it. Um, and also, of course, this led to careers being changed and what's happened since then. So one of the biggest things for me was that it was Australian gymnast Alana Slater, who had a very unique and open relationship with her coaches um, and also from Australia. So it was her home Olympic Games. And she's the one who was in the third rotation and was supposed to go first on vault and looked at, kept looking at the vault and was like, this is not right. And she had to go up to her coaches, stop the meet and force them to get out the tape measure. Cause she was like, this vault is too low. This vault is too low. And first of all, her coaches had to believe her enough to like, you know, call that's a big thing to stop a meet in the middle of it. And, you know, the podcast kind of dives into how that speaks to so many women before didn't even look at it, assumed that the, the falls, that the vault problems was their fault, right? Assumed that there was something off with them, that it was the pressure getting to them, right? That they had done something wrong to create this fall. And um, it was her, you know, relationship with her coach and her um, comfort to speak out that ended up changing that. And you know, that got me thinking a lot about how I don't think Simone Biles would have been comfortable stopping in 2016. You know, I think she would have endangered herself, right? She wouldn't have trusted her, what her body was telling her and what her mind was telling her. But I think on a more pertinent note to this conversation is the fact that these gymnasts, after they fell in the vault, the ones who, because these were the, the people who had to vault on the lower vault went first and second. So then they had so many events to compete afterwards. And it was this snowball effect, right? The mistake on vault, the fall on vault, the feeling so off on vault and feeling like it must be their fault went on to impact their performances in all these other competitions and you know on the high bars because you lose trust in yourself you lose trust in um you know your abilities and uh the big controversy here beyond the initial mistake is that they were allowed to everyone who won the first two rotations was allowed to redo the vault but not their other um, events, right? And so for so many, like Svetlana Korkina didn't even redo the vault. Like she refused to. She was like, this is not okay because she had a fall. I think it was on um, an event, the event she did right after vault because she was so in her mind about vault. So anyways, 
I just can't stop thinking about how this blind trust we have in the places around them and how once that trust is broken, how many athletes blame themselves, how hard it is to move on from those disappointments and how these little things can change forever. I mean, you know, a lot of athletes ended up going on and having great careers and of course have all made peace with it. Right. I think that's a big thing. Um, except Corkina, I don't think like she'll ever really, you know, she went on to have a great career after that, but how do you, how do you get move on from losing that much trust in your system? And I think, you know, while, it's not often equipment malfunctions in this. Do you know what I mean? It's so there's that, yeah, that's of course a rare case, but I just like, we talk about Corkina's career and we say, Oh, she didn't have this into this big gold medal. Right. And you lose the context of this huge meet, right. Where she was the prohibitive favorite going in. And then, you know, this huge thing happened. So it's going to be thought about the, like how, you know, we need to view people's careers, like in the full context, how defining these moments are. And how hard it is to move on mentally um, once a mistake has happened. And it's also to me, Lynn's like when you're talking about that, talks about how much importance we put on what is seen as the pinnacle moment in that sport, like the way that Olympics gets held up in a way that worlds isn't right. That these other kind of competitive moments, people are really decorated on their areas, but it's like, if you've never gotten it at the Olympics, right. Then, and I think about this, of course, um, you know, we were having this conversation in other areas around, I know, uh, Shereen's very happy about Christine Sinclair, for instance, or Brenda was so ecstatic about Messi, right? And because why? There's this way that like we put these arbitrary markers of greatness where like unless you have gotten this specific agreed upon thing, it's like there's no nothing to like hook your career onto. And I think we lose sight of a lot of people to your point. Um, with that vision. I also thought about gymnastics um, and thought about this idea of burden, especially. Um, And this is a conversation that we're seeing happening in terms of Simone, in terms of like the weight of many expectations, but also on on the nation and, and kind of Olympic marketing and all of this stuff. And it made me think of another Black gymnast, Black Brazilian gymnast, Diane Dos Santos. If, if you don't remember, Diane, who, who like burst on the scene in 2003 um, and just shot up at Worlds, competed at the Olympics. Um, there's all these expectations going into the Olympic Games because she had um, one flo- one gold on floor in 2003 at Worlds, um, and then in the kind of World Cup leading up to the Olympics in 2004, and and there's all this stuff. Like, I mean, just listen to this one, the like second sentence in this New York Times profile of her heading into the 2004 Summer Olympics. Um, they say, quote, she began training at the advanced age of 12 and is now relatively ancient 21. She has the body of a woman, not a child. She comes from South America, not Eastern Europe, and she's black, not white. But she will be the clear favorite to win the gold. The headline is literally a nation's hope rises out of nowhere. The entire framing over her competition was everything that it meant for Brazil and to upend gymnastics, to upend the world of gymnastics and what it meant. 
Um, and there was a hyper focus on her body. Um, even her coach was leaning into it and talking about how she has hips and she has an ass, like she has the body of a Brazilian woman, because it was seen as not only Brazil's hope, but this thing that could break open gymnastics for for black girls globally. Um, and she was widely celebrated. And there was a lot of stuff about how a soccer nation was now having this moment where they were caring about her and all looking um, at her. And going back and reading some of these articles, you could see Dos Santos even at the time trying to trying to push back against this. Um, and she talked about the pressure and she said, my obligation to the nation is not to bring home a medal, but to do the best I possibly can. I've never promised anyone a medal, only that I will give my utmost. And I feel like reading it now in that moment, I just hear this like way of trying to negotiate pressure already and trying to like soften the weight of those expectations. Cause I can't imagine taking that into into competitions. And then of course, um, at the Olympics, she she landed a skill that then became named after her. Um, but then in the final, she went out of vast on the tumbling path. She didn't medal. Um, and that became a kind of story of her of her games. Um, although she, you know, in 2008, Brazil got Jade Barbosa, who kind of took a lot of the spotlight from her. And it reminded me of this kind of idea, especially with a lot of Black women Olympians I've been talking to of like, when you're kind of thrust into the spotlight with these expectations, but like how easily you can be discarded um, should you fail to perform at the at the highest level? Um, where's the room for bronze or fourth? Or like the ways that we, like even these headlines have been like, US settles for silver. It's like silver medal at the Olympics is damn huge, big deal. Like, what are we talking about here? Like third, hell, fourth. If I got fourth at the Olympic games, like, psh. Are we supposed to believe, Amira, that you would be okay losing the Olympics? No, no. <laughs> Are we, are we supposed to believe that you, I Amira, mean, would I be okay that... not getting off the podium? <laughs> I'm sorry. I object. I think you're right that I'm hyper competitive, but I think that if I were to go to the Olympics, you would also never hear the end of that alone. <laughs> that is true. I'm so... annoyed just thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> But I feel like if Amira was in a team sport, she would seriously be happy and like helping like everybody through through a loss. I think you would do that. I cannot speak to single events because I don't know. (laughs) But I feel like but I feel like team events, you would certainly be a huge part of like the the backbone of, of encouragement. Thank you. I love Shireen's like never ending support for me in team functions. I also would not want to play you in a single event, but that's okay. I'm just saying I would give you some space after a loss. I'm just saying. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the other thing, uh, I have a a clip that I wanted you guys to hear. Um, This was uh, Dos Santos reflecting on watching Rebecca Andrade win gold, the first for Brazil in gymnastics. And she tearfully talks about how much it means to watch Rebecca do it, to watch another black girl do this moment. Um, and it's in Portuguese, but she's talking about how significant it is that she's black um, and, and what this represents. Sim, uma atividade muito grande atrás de tudo isso. É uma mulher, uma mulher que veio, uma menina que veio de uma origem muito humilde, foi criada por uma mãe solo, como a Dona Rosa, porque o pai da Rebeca é vivo, mas não é presente na vida dela. Aguentou tudo que ela aguentou, todas as lesões. E tá aí hoje para ser a segunda melhor atleta do mundo, uma brasileira. Olha, 
All right, Shireen, we've been telling stories about gymnasts, but other athletes have dealt with this as well. Who is on your mind? I mean, this topic really made me think. And I was like, there's so many that, you know, I thought about, but there's one one in particular that's even a little bit closer to burn it all down um, because we've had this Olympian on our show. Um, I don't know if people know this, but two-time Olympian Perdita Felician uh, was ranked number one in the world when she went into the 2004 Olympics um, and she crashed on the first, she hit the first hurdle and she crashed in the second and she's referred to it as, quote, her deepest and darkest moment, end quote. Um, as I said, she was number one going into the race and she'd set a Canadian record and that still exists so many years later. Um, she won the first two heats um, and then after hitting the hurdle and falling, she said later in an interview that it was complete devastation for her. And she asked, why me, why me? In fact, she's later on to say in that same, say a similar interview with TVO that it was years before she could actually talk about this. Like she couldn't, she couldn't talk about it. And, you know, people manage disappointment in certain ways. And even Lindsay, when you were talking about the vault, I'm like, how come nobody checked it? How, why did this happen? Like, I didn't even know about the story. And like, there's so many of these type of injustices that happen along the way. But these are a little, this is one's a little bit different because this is something that comes from the athlete. So the level of comprehension, the level of sort of processing becomes very different. Um, but I just wanted you to have a little bit of a listen to the actual commentator. But what on earth went on at the beginning? Unbelievable. Let's just have a look from the start. Look at this. She goes to the first hurdle. Hits it very badly there with the lead leg. Once you hit a hurdle with the lead leg, you are finished. But it's so unfortunate, Shevchenko, the Russian, was taken out as well. But that's something that couldn't be helped. Once you hit a hurdle with the lead leg, you're dead, and that's it. You're finished. Absolutely. The analyst and the commentator is a bit stunned as well because this isn't this isn't supposed to happen. And I think this is one of the things that we think about in terms of analysis of commentary and event is that things aren't supposed to happen. Do we really think about room for error? Do we really judge for a room for mistakes or disappointments in that way? And the thing that I wanted to uh, talk about as well as wait on one particular person for a country. And Amira mentioned Christine Sinclair and Canada. We're recording Monday morning. Canada beat the United States one nothing. And if you anybody saw the quarterfinal against uh, Brazil, was how Christine Sinclair missed her pen and she was sobbing. Luckily for her, Steph Labe saved, but the weight of the world is on these athletes. And so many of them say that. And in fact, Michael Phelps talking about Simone Biles said, you feel the weight of the world. And like, I can't imagine what it's like to carry the weight of expectations of an entire country. And when you layer that nationalism and that expectations and particularly as a woman in sport who may not get the support and viewership there's so many layers of this that happen and you know there's frustration because Perdita had definitely had a storied career was world champ going in but this is all people remember and it took a lot of learning for her and unlearning to to process and grapple with it to be like this is what's this is what it really is. Um, she said later, and and this is something that I've actually spoken to her about. So it was a Mother's Day special in 2020, and then very recently 2021, a Patreon special episode that I did with her again for Mother's Day. 
Um, gold would have been a tangible object for the community to see because it took a community to get her there. And she goes on to discuss this. She actually wrote a book that's called My Mother's Daughter. It's a bestseller in Canada and it's amazing. But she talks about that in a way that she really recognizes how much it takes a village to get her there. So this quote unquote disappointment, I like the word disappointment and not failure because certainly getting to the Olympics is not a failure. But when you're ranked number one in the world and you you are disqualified and don't finish that particular race, it's really complicated. Um, Perdita is amazing and went on to become a broadcaster, sports journalist, and is currently at the CBC and right now doing Olympic coverage and slaying an amazing outfit. And so Penny Oleksiak is Canada's most decorated Olympian now. She didn't win the 100-meter freestyle, something that she did win in 2016. And can we still celebrate if we don't win gold? And, you know, very much there's something that Lily King, U.S. swimmer, commented on was that we should be able to celebrate silvers and bronze. I mean, it's a silver medal in the Olympics. Like, what? And bronze is amazing. And, you know, there's that adage that you win bronze, but you lose gold to get the silver. And Lily King was like, no, I'm not... I'm, I'm not subscribing to that. I want to see joy. And when Kylie Mass won silver to... McEwen of, of Australia, she was really excited. There was there was palpable excitement. And I loved seeing that. I loved watching that. And that, again, though, is different to not finishing. So to wrap up my part on this is that this particular reckoning of what happened in your result is different. And Perdita is very honest when she says it went on to be a journey for her in of itself to learn how to deal with this particular thing. I don't think it's surprising that the two sports we're talking about are hurdles and gymnastics, right? Because in the Olympics, I think those are the two, the two sports I hold my breath the most during, um, you know, where these split seconds, you know, in the air can make or break careers. I just think of Lolo Jones and, of course, the image that in the United States we were played over and over again. And I think it was 2008, you know, of clipping that hurdle with the lead and just, you know, on the floor of the track, just sobbing and how she's kind of made a career now out, you know, like that's kept her going into the Winter Olympics multiple times and and all of these things. But it's it's just um it is not a level of pressure that I think I could ever thrive under. And this once every four years, <laughs> like <laughs> weight of a nation type stuff. Uh, no. <laughs> I think that we talk about happiness and joy at these games and we love it, but we don't really delve. That's why I'm happy we're doing this segment because we don't really delve into sometimes the pain and the sadness that may never get reconciled right? Like this morning, I'm on a different level because the pain and injustice of 2012 and officiating between the semifinal match has been vindicated. I'm going to bring that shit in here. You <laughs> I guys. knew you were going to so, do um, it never, and will it ever wrong a right? No, like Lindsay, the, the vault. And I keep coming back to this because I'm like, they should have canceled the whole event and wiped it out. Like, yeah, they, they had to start over. That's the only thing you can do because like, how do you Oh, I get mad just thinking about it. I get shaking mad just thinking about it. Yeah. It's like unreal to me. And the other thing with Perdita was in her fall, the competitor from Russia fell because of her as well. So there's an added layer. There's an, mm. like, oh. yeah, right? So there's the, there are several cameras on them and they go back and the, the athlete that has fallen as a result of that gets up and is like arms in the air. Like, can you imagine what she had to go through because of someone else? 
So it's like, I, 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 it's, it's rough. Yeah. And I think, you know, what we're getting at is like behind every disappointment. I mean, you, we know behind every medal, there's a story, right? We know behind, you know, every victory, there's a story, but the truth is like, there's a story before and after every disappointment, like as well. And we often don't know those stories. And maybe these other things that we've labeled as disappointments are more revealing about fans, about society, about uh, structures of power in sport than they are about athletes themselves. One of the most enduring parts of the conversations that we've been having in the last week, especially about the intersection of sports and mental health, is um, what it means about uprooting our very notions of how we play these games, how we watch these games and what they mean. Um, Actually stop and consider the cost of these burdens and expectations and the cost of this glory, but just reaffirming that people are worthy (laughs) regardless of the color of their medal or if they medal at all or if they can run or jump or anything. And I think that that humanity of athletes is really inspiring. And here's for more uh, boundaries and mental health awareness and rehabilitating things that have been discarded or forgotten for reimagining what sports are and what they could be. Every deep playoff run starts with building an amazing team. Doing the same for your business doesn't take a room full of scouts. You just need Indeed. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Hate waiting? Indeed's US data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Something I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because with virtual interviews, Indeed saves you time. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent all in one place. Indeed knows that when you're growing your business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in our database matching your job description. Visit indeed.com slash blue wire to start hiring today. Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire. That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This week, I get together with a round table of podcasters, writers, researchers to talk about the uh, African diaspora at the games, Afro-Latinx folks, uh, Black folks in Europe, basically Issa Rae, Jif, we're rooting for everybody Black. We're going to have a whole discussion of how Blackness shows up at the games outside of uh, United States context. So diaspora at the games, that's your interview. It's coming to you on Thursday. Check it out. All right, y'all, there is no shortage of things to burn, of course. Lindsay, please, please kick us off. Okay. <laughs> so um, this is this is a very serious burn, but I'm going to laugh a lot as I get through it because it's my coping mechanism. Um, Cole Beasley, Buffalo Bills wide receiver, uh, got up at the start of training camp and announced – In a prepared statement that he said would be his last words on the issue, Um, I'm not anti or pro-vax, I'm (laughs) pro-choice. 
Uh, he went on to talk about how the, you know, the players just don't have enough information and how he was just really being an advocate for the unvaccinated. He then, that was not his last words on the issue, he then went to Twitter and released a long statement that basically said, these are my last words on the issue. And then included in that tweet was a rap. We, we have a, a brief clip here we're going to play. Ain't a vaccination for me. Only in evacuation. Save them home. I know that you mad. It ain't even fair. I got heavy nuts. So if you didn't get that or, um, you know, uh, one of the lines in the rap that I feel like uh, is a good summary is I don't need to get the vaccine. I have the heavy nuts immunity. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a delayed reaction from... I'm trying to, like, watch you do this with a straight face. <laughs> so, look, I feel like it speak, the bird speaks for itself, but I just want to say the uh, virus is ramping up. It's only getting more and more serious. Um, one of the most disturbing parts, well, nothing is more disturbing than that rap, but um, of what's going on in the NFL right now is, like, there are teams that are still like around the 60% vaccinated threshold, um, which is just ridiculous. And one of them is the Washington NFL team, which the head coach, Ron Rivera, just went through chemotherapy um, and survived cancer last year. So severely immunocompromised. Uh, and it's um, it's pretty despicable that we're still seeing so many players um, and people in the NFL and people in general pushing the anti-vax uh, agenda um and you know what i would say cole beasley is a spokesman you deserve <laughs> anti-vaxxers burn. burn burn shireen what do you have for us this week folks my pot is brewing and it is overflowing so i wanted to start off with the absolute fuckery of coaches now this is burn pile was sort of a living document and constantly crappy things were happening this week. So first of all, I'm going to start and hold space for people and trigger warning for abuse. Um, the Canada Rugby Sevens a couple months ago, the women's side, had talked about how Jamie Cudmore, who is a former Canadian rugby player, was bullying, was abusive. Now, finally, after they lost a match, he went public with his comments with the hashtag survivors my ass belittling his own team for losing. Finally, Rugby Canada felt compelled to fire him mid-Olympics. So one thing for the athletes to have to endure this kind of abuse and bullying and maltreatment from this coach. And again, we see a federation and association that did not listen to their athletes because despite the complaints against him, he was still coaching at the Olympics. I'm following this up very closely with more horrible, deplorable, racist behavior in this case by Patrick Moster, who is the German cycling coach, who during the event racially abused other cyclists. One, Azadine Larab, and the other one is Emmanuel Gabreza Gabriel. And he literally said something like, we don't want these camel jockeys. So this is a coach in an Olympic event belittling and racially abusing 
other athletes. I found out about this from Team Africa Rising, Kimberly Coates. She's part of Team Africa Rising, the cycling community that's based in Rwanda. And she wrote an open letter. We'll attach it in the show notes. So if you can get out there, show support online for these cyclists. This is, it's horrendous. Now I'm ending up this terrible burn pile because people just can't stop being them racist selves and showing who they are. Um, there was a commentator who was Greek, who is Greek, and decided that it would be really important for him to say something really about one of the table tennis athletes. So basically, you've got Demosthenesis Camiris, and he said this about Jiang Yang Sik, who is a table tennis athlete. He said he was surprised at the win because he said their eyes are narrow so I can't understand how they see the ball moving back and forth so friends this happens all the time in the Olympics and we would be remiss if we didn't call it out and talk about how terrible it is and how it actually has no place so think about these athletes that are out here that are hustling that are doing their best they are working and they have to endure this maltreatment from coaches or this racist abuse that we know we know from seeing black women in track and the way that they're commented on this is not new so please if you see it out I would love the solidarity from everybody to literally make this known. We don't want people to be doing this with impunity, these racist folks showing themselves. It's disgusting and it takes away from the joy we have. So I want to take all of that and I want to take it and throw it into the burn pile. Burn. Burn. All right. Uh, this trigger warning for um, brief mention of sexual assault and uh, racism and terribleness um so obviously there was a heap of right-wing response to simone biles that was predictable and basic and not worth our time on this show to even burn what i feel very important um about speaking out about and against though is the jokes that uh and jokes is in quotations that uh, Saturday Night Live co-head writer Michael Che wrote um, at Simone's expense, and they were appalling. On his Instagram, he wrote, he had a bunch of Simone Biles jokes. He's, he talked about really wanting to get them off his chest, that he was going to go record them, um, and then proceeded to post jokes that other people were making and giving them space on his platform. These jokes included a really horrific one referencing her sexual assault at the hands of Larry Nasser, one that he rated a nine out of 10. Uh, it included one uh, joking that they thought black didn't crack. He rated that a eight out of 10. When people pointed out how despicable this was, he wrote a post saying, oh, I was hacked. You know, I only do jokes about white people and cops. It's all good. And it was so clearly not even an attempt at even like a half of a non-apology. Um, in the days since, he's only doubled down on his Instagram posting a pop-up show that sold out, talking about this is why they call him a sellout, not to mention talking about how he's turned into a damn martyr for, for doing this. And it's just is just so predictable in many ways that this black man, this comedian would punch down, would like see this moment 
with Simone and think, hmm, I really need to get jokes off right now. That is absolutely what I need to put into the world is to joke about her sexual assault when one of the reasons she's talked about putting herself through this, one of the reasons she's there at the Olympic Games, one of the reasons why she's putting her body and her mind through what she's putting them through is because she says, I'm the last survivor of Larry Nassar. And if I'm competing, it makes it much harder for USA Gymnastics to move aside. To flip that into a joke and to try to sidestep it like you're not the one making it, you're giving it platform, you're rating it, and you're rating it high. What the fuck is wrong with you? Is the likes that important to your ego? Is the attention that that soothing at night that 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 keeps you warm? You're good with getting a whole bunch of followers who just love to hate on a black woman who who they can't even fathom doing half of what she does. It's so disappointing. And it's a reminder that like even at the moment where we are seeing an outpouring of support, and a recognition, I think, of Black women's voices and the burdens they carry and what they're saying they need. You, we are also reminded about the persistence of massage noir and um, just like what it looks like to to continue to to exist in a world where this dude and dudes like him would take that opportunity to make a joke at your expense because because you're a joke to them is fucked up and I, I find it really disgusting. Um, yeah, burn. 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 After all that burning, it's time for some torch burns of the week and I will give you a heads up. We will rip through this, but we have a lot of people to celebrate. So let's get it going. Shireen, fire it up. Who are our first time flames? This is so fun. Thank you, Amira. Hidalyn Diaz, a weightlifter, won the Philippines her first ever gold medal. Flora Duffy wins a triathlon gold for Bermuda, which is the second ever medal for Bermuda, their first gold, and that makes Bermuda the smallest country to ever win a gold medal. And weightlifter Gryeva wins Turkmenistan's first Olympic medal. And most recently, Fiji's women's side wins the first Olympic medal for Fijian women in the Rugby Sevens. And a late entry. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Jasmine Camacho Quinn won the first ever gold medal for Puerto Rico in athletics and the second gold medal overall. The the first being in 2016 by Monica, which is like, look at Puerto Rican women just shining on the Olympic stage. She won it in the 100 meters. She was out. Nobody was touching her. I just have to take that moment to big up her and to say congratulations, Lepa. Like, so much pride. And also, the back of her uniform was so cute. It had little cookies on it and it took me literally a day and a half of watching it on replay to see oh and then i'll go right from there to the wait what of the week and that's literally because i don't know how else to describe what i'm about to tell you but we wanted to shout out austrian cyclist anna kissenhofer who is a mathematician who does not have a coach she does not have a team and she still won gold in the women's cycling road race the first cycling medal for austria in 125 years and one of the biggest upsets ever amazing Linz, who's our valiant vaulter of the week? This is one of my favorite stories. 46-year-old Oksana Chusevatina 
uh, retired after competing for Uzbekistan in her eighth straight Olympics. Her first Olympics was 92 in Barcelona. Process that. You can't. You can't. Were you guys even born? Process that. Yes, we were born, but we were young. (laughs) I was like, where were we? (laughs) We're 80 babies. Uh, She took her final Olympic bow before a standing ovation in Tokyo this week. Um, And uh, just wow, 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 wow. That's amazing. Now, from our seasoned vets to our young upstarts, our young shredders of the week, I want to give a shout out to the entire podium of the women's street skateboarding uh, event uh, because the collective podium age was 42. That's right, 42. Uh, Younger than Oksana. Yes, exactly. (laughs) That's wild. Mama G Naisha from Japan, 13 years old, took gold. Raisa Leal, uh, 13-year-old from Brazil. You might have remembered her for her viral fairy tutu Tony Hawk video that he shared it a few years ago. She got silver. And Fune Nakayama from Japan, who is 16, got bronze. That's uh, a collective 42 years of pure excellence. Congratulations. Now, Shireen, we have another underdog story that is just amazing here. Can you please tell us uh, uh, who you have next for Torchbearers? This is one of the most wholesome moments in the entire, entire Olympics for me. 18-year-old Ahmed Hafnawi is a Tunisian. Only second swimmer ever from Tunisia to qualify for an Olympic swimming final. He was ranked 16th in the world. And this young man won gold in the 400-meter freestyle. And what I love the most about this is the video of his family watching went viral when you really can't see anything beyond shrieking and a shaky camera. But just still the joy of that moment was unbelievable. And also when he realized that he won, it was unbelievable. So yay. Yay for happy stories. Absolutely. Our courageous choreographer of the week is Costa Rica's Luciana Alvarado, who rose her fist and took a knee during her gymnastics floor routine, finding a loop in the IOC's draconian rule. Uh, She did it in support of Black Lives Matter, an ongoing global struggle against anti-Blackness and racial injustice, um, including in Costa Rica, where there has been a long history of mobilization there. Shout out to you, Luciana. Linz, who are our allies of the week? Team USA men's EPE team deliberately wore pink masks for their opening match to stand in solidarity with sexual assault survivors. Um, Their teammate, who was right there next to them, wearing a black mask, Hadzik, uh, he is under investigation for sexual assault. The uh, allegations are horrific. And um, kudos to his teammates for taking a stand. From uh, allies taking a stand against teammates to women gymnasts who absolutely are just the spotlight has been on gymnastics as it always been, but really intense this this year. Um, The storylines around Simone, but also just talking about what is harmful within the sport. And then despite that, or perhaps because of that, we've also seen a huge level of sportsmanship between all of the gymnasts actively, very loudly cheering for each other, um, hugs, high fives. 
Uh, SUNY won her all-around gold. Rebecca, Rebecca Andrade for Brazil, uh, took home Brazil's first medal in gymnastics, had a great showing on the floor as well. Uh, Simone screaming, screaming from the stands for literally every gymnast you could hear her. Vanessa Ferrari, uh, Angelina Melkonova from Russia. Um, I just collectively want to shout out the competitors in women's artistic gymnastics that we've seen. Um, they were absolutely a sight to see. And speaking of uh, sportsmanship, also shout out the men's high jump final. Uh, they decided oh. to split a medal instead of going to a jump off. If you haven't seen this video of longtime friends, uh, Italian and Qatari competitors deciding to share the gold, jumping into each other's arms and jubilation. Um, absolutely your, your must watch of the day. And now can I get a drum roll, please? Our torchbearer of the week goes to U.S. shot putter Raven Saunders, who uh, got the silver medal in the shot put, hit a quick twerk for y'all on TV, even though they cut away, <laughs> full of joy and jubilance, took the medal stand, threw up her hands in an X on the medal stand, representing, in her words, uh, the crossroads where all those who are oppressed meet. Saunders, who is black, who is queer, um, and who talks openly about mental health struggles and about being depressed, has been a vocal, uh, outspoken person on all of those things. Uh, her stand was also the kind of first biggest public defiance we've seen of the IOC's rules about pony and protests. They've already tried to come at her. Saunders tweeted, let them try and take this medal. I'm gonna run across the border even though I can't swim. Um, but more seriously, uh, Raven's been an absolute light and, um, her voice is so important and I'm gonna let her take it out, uh, from here. We keep pushing, we keep pushing, we keep fighting because I'm not just fighting for myself I'm fighting for a lot more people. I want to give a shout out to all the LGBTQ community, everybody that's dealing with mental health issues, everybody that's black. I'm just giving a shout out to everybody, yo. We can do it. We can do it. If you keep pushing, you keep grinding. Keep looking forward. You got it. All right, y'all. What is good in your worlds, Shireen? Okay, so Andre DeGrasse, Canada's sprinter, decided to show up and be the one man that contributes to our medal count. Congratulations to him and the 100 meter winning the bronze. I don't know if you guys know, but the Canadian women's soccer team beat the U.S. this morning and is advancing to the gold medal. That is bringing me an enormous amount of joy. I'm happy. May have heard. Yeah, may have heard. May have heard. Uh, also, the NBA draft happened last week, and my babies, the, the Raptors, have drafted Scotty Barnes, who is so excited. I love Scotty Barnes. And to my son, Salahuddin, who said, Mama, you never heard about Scotty Barnes before the draft. But that's not the point. The point is that I love him. Um, shout out as well to the Canadian women's rugby sevens who are wearing orange as nail polish or ribbons or armbands as some part of their uniform at the Olympics to pay respect to indigenous communities all over Canada. And I just love all of that. The Blue Jays are back in town. I'm excited. Also, somewhere along this, I am writing my thesis and finishing it up. So please send some happy vibes, positive vibes to me. Um, last thing, it is peach season in Ontario and Niagara peaches are the most spectacular thing in the entire world. And I love all of that. 
I'll jump right in on that because I have a peach-related good thing. Uh, Jessica Luther's favorite ice cream spot that she put me on to called Lick. It's the ice cream that I brought her after she hurt her back. Um, they have a new seasonal flavor called Honeyed Peach and Rosemary. And I was feeling adventurous and I tried it and I really liked it. So that's good. <laughs> Rose, rosemary rosemary peaches. yeah i mean their flavors like they have a goat cheese honey and thyme and i'm not adventurous either and i was like sign me up for a scoop of that so um that's that's really my what's good um i dragged jess and aiden to a escape room with me in samari <laughs> Um, and it was Jess's second and Aiden's first escape room. And we escaped with like 15 minutes to spare, which was huge. But we came out of the escape room and they presented me with a signed card. Cause Shireen, I told the story about when we were in Nashville and they, the guy ended up recognizing me from like years before. And they yeah. were like, oh my gosh. And the, the lady was telling me all about how she does, um, escape rooms for deaf and hard of hearing people and signs through it and like we were we got in this really great conversation so after we escaped they um surprised me in the lobby with a sign card from the escape game you mean like the company that runs it gave you a personal yeah it's a card with like the signatures of all the people who are working that day and they gave me a pin and they gave me a free escape game austin shirt that's a taco on it oh i love they gave you. it was like a care package and it was like a welcome to Austin and also thank you for escaping all the time. Um oh and God. I like cried in the lobby of the escape game. Um so it was really nice to be back at my happy place and to be there with Jess and Aiden and Samari. Oh, I love that. I just got goosebumps because I can see you. Yeah, it's my little random what's good, but it was something that absolutely brought me joy. Um and also shout out to Gwen Berry making finals for Hammer. Um, on a monstrous 73.19 throw. And Anna Cockrell uh, clipped the girl at the line is going to the 400 meter finals. And so I love to see my friends win and shine. And these women have done so much on and off the track. So I, and field. And so I, I'm thrilled for them. Uh, Linz, bring us home. I don't really have much. Uh, it's been, uh, uh, it has been a really rough week. But uh, before that, I got to see some friends in DC. There was a great wedding. So that was good. Um, everyone, some prayers to my mom's health, if you don't mind. Um, and, you know, uh, we got another week, so keeping on, keeping on. Got some more early morning wake-ups. Early morning wake-ups, keeping on, keeping on, and sending lots of love and prayers to Lindsay and her family at this time. What we're watching this week? Well, a little thing called the Olympics uh, from dusk till dawn or dawn till dusk. It doesn't matter. We're up all the time anyways. So uh, keep checking your Olympic listings. We have um, the second week of the Olympics, track and field, and then, of course, some gold medal games in team sports. I would highly recommend checking out women's volleyball. It has been feisty between USA and Russia and China and Italy. Uh, phenomenal volleyball happening uh, if you need a, a new sport to get into. That's it for this week's episode of Burn It All Down. This episode was produced by Tressa Versteg. Shelby Weldon is on our web and social media. Uh, and we're, of course, part of the Blue Wire podcast network. 
You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, like and listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts um, for show links, transcripts. Uh, I'm going to give you a picture of my escape game taco t-shirt. You can check all of that out over at our website, burnitalldownpod.com and also a link there to our merch um, on our bonfire store. A special thank you to our Patreons. Me and Linz really enjoyed talking with y'all for our pregame pop-up. Maybe we'll have another one coming up. Stay alert to our Instagram and our um, Twitter for uh, those announcements. All of you flamethrowers, it means so much to have your support and to have your flames lit beside ours. Together, we are definitely making an impact. From me, Shireen, and Lindsay, that's it for this week. Burn on, not out, and we'll see you around, flamethrowers.